We all love to get out on the open road, see the country, feel the wind in our hair. But if you have the same car you've been driving for years, you might not feel so great after a car breakdown, unless you have a plan through CarShield. CarShield is America's most trusted vehicle protection company, and for almost 20 years, they've helped Americans protect their out-of-warranty vehicles. From car and trucks to SUVs, a plan through CarShield can protect up to 5,000 parts and systems and save you big dollars on your engine, transmission, entertainment system, and more. It's as easy as going to carshield.com Shapiro. With plans that include unlimited miles, road trips have never been easier. Plus, you get exclusive access to CarShield's concierge service, as well as 24-7 roadside assistance and help with flat or damaged tires, lockouts, and rental car options. Call CarShield to speak with an expert here in the U.S. that can answer all your questions and get you a free quote in minutes. Don't wait another minute. Visit CarShield now before a breakdown happens and you get stuck with an expensive repair bill. Save 20% and get your free quote by going to carshield.com Shapiro now. That's carshield.com Shapiro to save 20% today. It's Thursday and panic has completely set in among members of the Republican establishment. We'll talk about that. We will also talk about a terrible ad out of Hollywood about gun control, plus things I hate with maybe the thing I hate more than anything else ever in human history. We'll get to all that. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Some people tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. Okay, so... Today, Donald Trump came out and said that he might run third party again. Now, as you remember, Donald Trump signed a pledge that he would not run third party, but he said at the time that maybe he would run third party if he felt mistreated. The panic has completely set in among the establishment because there's a new poll that's out today, and it shows that Donald Trump, after his proposal to ban all Muslim immigration, which we talked about extensively yesterday and the day before, it's a proposal I disagree with, but it's actually very smart politically because it puts all of his opponents on the side of having to argue for Muslim immigration immediately after an Islamic terror attack. It's actually a very smart political move by Trump. He has a lot of smart, instinctual gut moves. The problem is that they're all gut. He doesn't have any sort of strategy to them. But Trump in the polls today, CBS New York Times poll, Trump 35% nationally. The next closest competitor, Ted Cruz, at 16%. So he's more than doubling up Ted Cruz, the establishment favorite. Marco Rubio is stagnant at 9%. He's still in single digits. Jeb Bush, who was the establishment favorite, is at 3 3%. He's got $125 million in the bank and 3% in the polls. And you'd probably like to reverse some of those numbers, but unfortunately for him, he is toast. But this is the point. Okay, so Trump is saying that he might run third party. I want to talk about the possibility that Donald Trump will run third party and what that actually means. So the reason this comes up is because Bill O'Reilly had Donald Trump on last night, and he was asking Donald Trump about the possibility of running third party, given the establishment hatred for him, given the backlash that he's received on his proposal with regard to Muslim immigration. And here is what Donald Trump had to say. Are you going to run on a third party ticket, thereby handing the election to Hillary Clinton? Uh, I think that I will get the delegates. I'm winning in Iowa okay, big. I'm winning in South Carolina. I'm winning in New Hampshire big. If you okay, don't. Okay, and then he says, if you don't, what will you do? And he, and he sort of shies away from the question. And then he was on, I guess, what was this, Michael and Kelly? Uh, and, uh, and Donald Trump did the, the same routine. He was asked about his third-party appeal, and he explained why he has third-party appeal. Here is the Trumpster. Would you consider to run as the third party candidate? Well, let me tell you, my first of all, I don't want to do that. I'm leading in the polls by not a little bit, like by 20 and 21 points. A poll just came out. I'm leading in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, Texas. I'm leading in Florida against two people. One was a governor, one was a senator. 
I'm leading every single poll, and nationwide, I'm leading in every one of them. So obviously, I'm very happy where I am. The people, the Republican Party has been, the people have been phenomenal. Mm -hmm. uh, the party, I'll let you know about that. And if I don't get treated fairly, I would certainly consider that. In fact, they did a poll in one of the, I think it was USA Today, where they said 68% of the people that were Republicans right. would follow Trump if he went independent. I don't want to do that. Number one, when you're leading by 20 and 21 points, you don't do that. A lot of the people that are very critical, people like Jeb Bush, who's down being, you know, got nothing going, uh, and a lot of the others that are critical, they're doing very poorly. I mean, they're doing very, very poorly in the poll. It was sort of interesting because Jeb the other day was on uh, television, and he said, Donald Trump, maybe I disagree with him, but he is a gifted, gifted politician. I said, oh, why did he say that? That's such a nice thing to say. And then he said it again and again. I said, this is my opponent. And, uh, and, and the reality is that, that something is setting in among the Republican establishment, and that is they don't know what to do with Trump. They have no clue what to do. And the reason they don't know what to do with Trump is because what Trump represents is a couple of things. One is he's a direct response to political correctness. That's, that's what Trump's candidacy is all about. That's why the more outrageous the thing that he says is, the more support that he gets, because his entire spiel is, if I say something and the media don't like it, it's not because the media are right. It's because the media are politically incorrect. So the problem with this is that it's not always true. Sometimes the media are right. Like when they say that Trump's proposal is not smart, this Muslim immigration proposal. But they don't just say that. They say that he's a bigot. And then they go too far. And then they label all of his followers bigots. And that's when Trump wins. As we said yesterday, the reason Trump is winning is because the media have gone so far in attacking Trump and his supporters that people react to... All of politics is the game of opposition. People need to understand this is how politics works. Politics is not about voting for Trump. You're voting against Trump's opponents. That's why you're voting for Donald Trump. The reason Trump's supporters back him is because they hate all of the people who hate Donald Trump. Okay, they hate all of the Democrats who hate Donald Trump. They hate the media that despises Donald Trump and wants to call him a racist. They despise the Republican establishment, which has done nothing for 20 years to stop the steady encroachment of leftism. 20 years, try 80 years to stop the steady encroachment of leftism with the, with the small gap of Ronald Reagan's presidency in part, but not even in full. And so they look at the Republican Party and they say, all of these idiots, they hate Donald Trump and they're ripping on Donald Trump. The enemy of the enemy is my friend. That's basically what it comes down to. So yes, Donald Trump is a celebrity and that of course helps him a lot. But people are maybe predisposed to like Donald Trump, find him funny, find him entertaining, he is. And then when he's attacked, people say, okay, well, the people who hate Trump are also the people that I happen to dislike. And so when they attack Trump and say that he's Islamophobic or that he's racist or that he's a bigot, and by extension they say that I'm Islamophobic or racist or bigoted for backing Donald Trump, screw all these people, I like Trump even more. No matter what Trump says, I like him even more because the people who hate Trump, those are the people that I despise. Right? I despise the GOP establishment, for example, more than I despise Trump. I despise Democrats more than I despise Trump. I hate the media more than I hate Trump. And you're seeing this actually become... Uh, sort of line in talk radio, and I've said it, and I think a lot of other people who are sort of in the grassroots side of the Republican Party definitely have this feel, which is that I, I think Trump's not conservative. I'm not going to vote for him in a primary. But here is the telltale point. The reason that I know that Trump's opponents are people that I shouldn't listen to is because the same people who hate Trump hate Ted Cruz. The same people who are saying Ted, that, that Donald Trump is not a real conservative, with a few exceptions, there are people like Kevin Williamson at National Review, who likes Ted Cruz, for example, but doesn't like Donald Trump. There are some conservatives. I'm one of these people. I think that Trump's a bad candidate. I think that Trump has a lot of flaws. I like Ted Cruz. The we are few and far between. The vast majority of people who hate Trump hate Ted Cruz also. 
And there's no reason why you should hate both of them, right? Because Trump isn't conservative enough. This is what they keep saying. He's not a real conservative. Okay, well, Ted Cruz is the most conservative guy in the field, and yet you're telling us that we can't possibly nominate Ted Cruz. We have to nominate somebody like Marco Rubio. And listen, I don't hate Marco Rubio as a candidate. Marco Rubio is probably my third or fourth choice. But you know, when, when Marco Rubio is, is posed as the anti-Ted Cruz or the anti-Donald Trump, people start to go, well, why is it that all the Jeb people are now moving over to Rubio? I hate those people. And so it turns into, who are the people I hate most? And those people hate Trump. And so I like Trump, which is why Trump, at the very beginning, I thought that he named his whole campaign in one interview. He was asked why he was whining about media coverage. And he said, I whine and I whine and I whine until I win. That's his campaign. And it works. Because all the people that he's whining about are people who basically deserve to be smacked. Most of the people that Trump dislikes are people that, mo that most Republicans dislike. Now, in that clip where Trump was talking about third-party appeal, it's not true 68% of Republicans would go with Trump. 68% of Trump's current supporters would go with Trump. And if you took that number, then what you're really looking at is, you know, 70% of 35%. Of so you're really looking at about 24% of the, of the Republican Party, 23% of the Republican Party, which when you translate it out is about 10% of the entire electorate. 10 to 12% of the entire electorate goes with Trump if he goes third party, which is plenty enough to, to swing the election to Hillary Clinton, for sure, right? I mean, 5% would be enough to, to swing the election. To Maybe 2% would be enough to swing the election to Hillary Clinton. Now, is this going to happen? Is this going to happen? And before I get to, is this going to happen? I want to give you an example of why people like Trump. And again, it's not because of desperate love for Donald Trump. There's a sort of cult of personality that's being built around him, but it's really built on the basis of the cult of I hate the establishment Republicans and all they stand for. I hate the media and I hate Democrats. And so I like Trump because Trump says stuff, right? And the reason for this is because, for example, look at Barack Obama attacking Trump. This is where I think that the Democrats may be being somewhat smart. If they want Trump to be the nominee, all they have to do is keep doing what they're doing, attacking Trump with everything they've got. President Obama marked the 150th anniversary of slavery with a speech the other day, and I can't think of a president really in, in recent history who's done less for black people than Barack Obama. Um, but here's Barack Obama talking about the end of slavery, and he uses it as a way to slap Trump as, as somebody who just doesn't understand racial sensitivity, et cetera, et cetera. We condemn ourselves to shackles once more if we fail to answer those who wonder if they're truly equals in their communities, or in their justice systems, or in a job interview. We betray the efforts of the past if we fail to push back against bigotry in all its forms. But we betray our most noble past as well if we were to deny the possibility of movement, the possibility of progress. If we were to let cynicism consume us and fear overwhelm us. If we lost hope for however slow However incomplete, however harshly, loudly, rudely challenged at each point along our journey in America, we can create the change that we seek.
And he goes on to, to basically, that's a very oblique reference to Donald Trump and Donald Trump's ban on Muslim immigrants. You can hear it there. We can't be racist. We can't. And Don, Barack Obama makes people's stomachs crawl. I mean, he makes my stomach turn. When I watch him, he is so cynical. And he is such a, he is such a manipulator. And when I watch him and I, and I hear him, who, he doesn't even take radical Islam seriously, telling me that you're racist to take radical Islam seriously or bigoted or Islamophobic. I think, okay, well, at least Trump takes it seriously. Politics, it's a game of opposition. It's a game of at least, right? At least this guy doesn't do that. At least this guy doesn't think that. At least this guy isn't Obama. At least this guy takes this stuff seriously. And you get that Martin O'Malley, right? Martin O'Malley's on with Jorge Ramos. And Jorge Ramos is really quite ridiculous. As, as He's not a reporter. He's an opinion guy. And Jorge Ramos has come out in favor this week of a total gun confiscation in the United States. Martin O'Malley, the Democratic presidential candidate who has less support than I think New Coke had at one point. Uh, Martin O'Malley is on with Jorge Ramos, and, uh, and he goes after Donald Trump fully. He says he's a racist, fascist, ist, ist, ist. Here we go. It's very important that all of us push back on Donald Trump's remarks. I mean, the greatest... Look, democracies are very, very susceptible to these sort of uh, scapegoating appeals, these racist appeals, especially after an attack or in times of economic downturn or stagnant wages. And that's where we are right now. So when Donald Trump says these things, all of us have an obligation to punch back. I'm certainly going to do it. Uh, uh, these are the sort of appeals that history has taught us oftentimes precede fascism. Or worse, or at just as bad, the plunging of a republic into a security state. We all need to push back on Donald Trump's hateful language. Okay. Uh, he's awful. I mean, Martin O'Malley is awful. Okay, you can have a legitimate fear. He just called everybody who has legitimate fears about radical Islam a racist. That's what that was, and that's how people read it. When you hear that, what you hear is that if you are somebody who takes radical Islam seriously as a global problem, then that's because you're an Islamophobe, right? And because you're an incipient fascist, and what you really want to do is take rights away from people. Now, I am not a Donald Trump. Again, his Muslim immigration plan is not my plan, but at least he's not Martin O'Malley. And so Donald Trump does well, right? Because at least he's not Martin O'Malley. At least he's not Lindsey Graham, right? Here's the senator from South Carolina who's currently at negative 3% in the polls. Like people are actually going out of their way to tell, but they're not even being polled. They're just finding pollsters in the phone book, calling them up to tell them that they hate Lindsey Graham. Here's Lindsey Graham from South Carolina doing the same routine. And people well, are listening. This is a yeah, we can, we can do it. It's fine. Religious war, and Donald Trump is putting our soldiers and our diplomats at risk. He's never served in uniform. Going to a military high school is not military service. What he's doing is declaring war on the Muslim faith. What I'm trying to do is partner with Muslims. Okay, so everybody looks at Lindsey Graham. They go, okay, well, at least Donald Trump isn't Lindsey Graham. Here's this guy who's been telling us for years that open immigration is totally fine, basically. He's been pro-amnesty for decades. And here he is telling us that he takes the threat of Islamic terror more seriously than the guy who says that he doesn't want to let Muslim immigrants into the country. Now, again, I think that it is a problem for our intelligence apparatus for us to ban Muslim immigrants from the country. I think it damages our intelligence apparatus here and abroad. But it doesn't sound good coming from Lindsey Graham. He has no credibility here. And because he has no credibility, people go, well, at least Trump isn't Lindsey Graham, right? Again, there are good, there are good arguments against Trump's proposal. For example, Ayan Hirsi Ali, who knows radical Islam better than anybody. She, she was generally mutilated by radical Muslims. She was forced into a marriage when she, I think she was 14 years old. She had to flee to Denmark. She was threatened with death while she was in Denmark by radical Muslims in the West. She had to flee to the United States. Ayan Hirsi Ali doesn't like Trump's proposal. So obviously she is not a member of the establishment clique that just doesn't like Trump's proposal because they're establishment guys. I mean, here's Ayan Hirsi Ali explaining why she doesn't think Trump's proposal is right. 
but is I think it's a bad idea. I don't think we should do what Trump is saying we do, even if we could do it. I don't think we can, but even if we could do it, I think it's a bad approach. And uh, it, 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 it creates this false promise where a large number of American voters think that if they elect Trump, that he has uh, the solution to this long-term ideological war. And that's exactly right. I mean, it, it is Trump's solution is not really a solution. It is a long-term ideological war with radical Islam. What she's saying is right. The point that I'm making here is that you can oppose Trump's policies for very good reason. And again, Ayan Hirsi Ali knows radical Islam better than anybody maybe on earth. I mean, she is like poster girl for what it is like to be victimized by radical Islam. So it's, but again, Trump's support is coming from a place of opposition. So that begs the question, if, if all of this opposition manifests itself, what, what happens if Trump runs third party? Is he going to run third party? So here is my forecast for, for whether Trump runs third party or not. I think there are really only three scenarios here. Scenario one is he wins the nomination outright. Scenario two is he loses the nomination outright. Scenario three is we get a brokered convention. So Sean Trend over at Real Clear Politics has a piece today in which he evaluates the chances of each of these things happening. He says that the chances that Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio will win are about 15% for each. The chances that Donald Trump wins the nomination are now 20%, which is still top of the field, which is kind of surprising because for a long time the conventional wisdom was Rubio is going to win the nomination. Eventually the establishment will get their act together and they'll side behind Rubio. At this point, by the way, I'm not even sure if they got behind Rubio that that would work. I think if they all got behind Rubio... There's a good case to be made that all of Huckabee's support ends up going to Ted Cruz, for example, as the field consolidates. There's a good case to be made Santorum's support goes to Ted Cruz. There's a good case to be made that the remaining support for Ben Carson all goes to Ted Cruz. So we're really not looking at a Donald Trump 35 to 16 versus Ted Cruz. We're looking at Donald Trump at 35 and Ted Cruz at more like 25, right? And if that's the case, if it's a 35-25 race, then even if you give all the rest of the support to Rubio, he's only at 40%, right? So that means that he's barely ahead, and I don't think it's that easy. So but putting all of that aside, so what Trend says is he says the most likely scenario, the most likely scenario in his, in his view, is that we end up with a brokered convention. For people who don't know what a brokered convention is, we haven't had one in 40 years in the Republican Party. It hasn't happened since 1976. So the, 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 reason, the reason for that is because typically there's been sort of a baseline agreement that as the, as the primary process played its way out, we would sort of consolidate the field, one person would tend to emerge, and then we'd end up with a nominee. This year, we front-loaded all the primaries, and not only did we front-load all the primaries, all of the, all of the attempts by the elite establishment Republicans to put their money behind candidates that we were supposed to choose between went totally by the wayside. Trump has completely overturned it, right? It used to be $100 million in the bank meant something. Now, as I said earlier, $100 million in the bank means that you're at 3% in the national polls if your name is Jeb Bush. So all of the informal attempts to shape the race have failed. There's a complete disconnect between the elites and the grassroots. Well... If we get to a brokered convention, meaning that we end up in a situation where nobody has enough delegates to win the nomination outright, then we've got a problem. If Trump loses the nomination outright, I don't think he runs third party. If Ted Cruz wins the nomination or Marco Rubio wins the nomination, I think that Trump basically lends his support and he says, you know, I've I've had a very important impact on the debate and we move on. I think if Trump wins the nomination, obviously, yeah, he wins the nomination, so he's not running third party. If we get to a brokered convention, there is no way in hell the establishment will allow Donald Trump to be the nominee. If it gets to a brokered convention, which means that, again, the delegates are split between five, six, seven people, even three people, what you end up with is these sort of backroom deals that happen. Okay, well, I'll give you my delegates if you make me vice president. I'll give you my delegates if you 
give me this legislative priority that I want. I'll, I'll do it if you relieve me of my campaign debt. That's what Hillary Clinton did in 2008 against Barack Obama. She said, I'll back you, but I want you to help me pay off my campaign debt. All of these deals get kind of cut in the back room regardless, but in a broker convention, that's all it is. It's just a bunch of wheeling and dealing. What do Donald Trump supporters hate most about the Republican Party? Of all the things in life, what do they hate the absolute most? This, the wheeling and the dealing and the back scratching and the idea that there's a Republican Party establishment that is making deals behind our backs to quash our actual desires in elections. If that happens, not only will Trump run third party, but there are, depending on who the nominee is, there are people like me who won't vote for the Republican Party. Right? If, if, let's say it gets to a brokered convention. And let's say that the Republican establishment says, you know what, we tried this Rubio thing, he couldn't even beat Trump. Let's look at like Mitt Romney. Let's just draft somebody. Or let's look, second look at Jeb Bush. If they did that, I would not vote for the Republican Party. I'd rather see the Republican Party go down in flames than, than vote for one of these people that is being presented to us as the only possible alternative to Hillary Clinton. A lot of people will move over to Trump. You will have a legit third party. So if things continue the way that they are, the Republican Party has a very, very serious problem on its hands. And so there are a lot of folks on the Republican side who are a little bit in denial about this. You've got people like Charles Krauthammer. Uh, Charles Krauthammer says that Trump definitely won't run third party. Here's what Krauthammer had to say about it on Fox News. I suspect, though, that his ego will not... I mean, that would restrain him from running as a third party, assuming he doesn't win the nomination, uh, because he's going to it's going to be a lot harder than he thinks. And there will be a bar, sort of an invisible bar. And I think that's going to be the Ross Perot number of 19 percent. I don't think he would come anywhere near that in a general election. And that will be his mark on history. And I don't think he likes to be seen as a loser. The Republican nomination is his shot, and I think that's what he wants to go for. I don't think that's true at all. I think that if Donald Trump ran and got 15% in a general election, I mean, he doesn't know what he's going to get. Donald Trump is obviously not a risk-averse guy, so he's going to go in, and he, it doesn't matter what he actually would get. It's what he thinks he will get, right? If Donald Trump thinks he'll get 30% or 40%, I mean, Donald Trump's the guy who goes on national TV and says he's going to win 100% of the black vote. Why in the world would you think he's going to do a, a good rational calculation of his own chances as a third-party candidate? Not going to happen. Meanwhile, you've got Rand Paul, who's in full-scale denial. Rand Paul is saying, no, these polls aren't even real, right? When I look at these polls, there's no way this Trump mania is real. I just don't buy it. Here's a senator from Kentucky talking about it. I think, in fact, we've gone too far the other way of really basing election coverage and everything else on polls. We've gone into this Trump mania. I don't think he's going to win. I think really that we've overblown these polls. In reality, many of the people in these polls are not voters. Okay, even the ones of likely voters are showing Trump way ahead. So this is not true. And the, the last refuge of the desperate candidate is ripping on the polls. Once you've started going to, the polls are all inaccurate. In my own head, I've got 70%. You're done. But this is what's happening. So now the Republican Party is so upset about Trump that they've set into the five stages of grief. We've actually, we're now going, we're watching the Republican Party in real time go through the five stages of grief. So it started off with denial. Right? It started off with, this can't be happening. Donald Trump's going to fall. Don't worry, he'll collapse, right? Inevitably, inevitably he'll collapse. There'll have to be a point where people turn away from Trump. When that didn't happen, it went to anger. Look at all these idiot Trumpsters. Look at these Trumpkins, these morons who are backing Donald Trump. God, I hate these people. They're so stupid. And what they don't understand is that that anger reinforces, again, it brings you back to Donald Trump because all of these people, you call them idiots, they're just going to double down on Donald Trump. They feel like you attacking them makes you a jerk. I like Trump even more now because you attacked me. So they get angry. Then when the anger fails, they go to bargaining. Okay, well, guys, we better get our act together. We need, like Marco Rubio, let's get it behind Marco Rubio. 
And, you know, maybe we can try and force Christie out or Bush out, but if not, people will probably still come back to us. They start to bargain with reality. When that fails, they move on to depression. And that's where you get the doomsday predictions, right? If Donald Trump is the nominee, Carl Rove did this today. If Donald Trump is the nominee, the Republican Party will lose. And not only will they lose, they will never recover. It will be the end of all things. It'll be 1964 all over again. It'll be like Goldwater, except no hope for the future. We're all going to die. The earth is going to sink into the sea. All of that, the, the depression. And that's setting in. You're starting to see that now. And again, all of the Trump people just look at that and laugh. Because they say, okay, even if you're right and the Republican Party goes down the tubes, what do we care? We don't even like the Republican Party. We find you people terrible. Right? You're the people who are bargaining with Barack Obama. You haven't been able to stop him for eight years now. And you're sitting there telling me that hell is hell in a handbasket's Donald Trump? You guys are hell in a handbasket, right? So the depression, again, reinforces the, the support for Trump. And finally, here is the deal. If Donald Trump actually wins the nomination, a lot of these people are going to back Donald Trump. Because there are too many people who have too much money and too much time sunk into the Republican Party for them to just throw over the party structure. The only people willing to throw over the party structure are the people who have nothing invested, the Donald Trump supporters. Which is why if Trump doesn't win the nomination and it's not taken away from him through the electoral process, if it's taken away from him in some backroom deal, disaster, end of the Republican Party. He is the horseman of the apocalypse for the Republican Party. And you know what? If that happens, the Republican Party has it coming because they bred Donald Trump. The Republican Party is responsible for the rise of Donald Trump. They are responsible for this. By surrendering, by caving to politically correct nonsense for years, they bred a reactionary candidate who's taking advantage of the resentment. And that's what Donald Trump is. And that's why he's so successful. Okay, so now I want to talk about a couple of things that I hate. It is time. We're going to talk about things that I hate. Now, there are a couple, and I really hate a couple of things today. My hate runs, the hate runs strong with this one. Uh, and so I'm, I'm going to uh, embrace the hate, which is what we do every day at this time on the program. First of all, something that I like. There's a great book that nobody knows about that you should pick up. It's by a guy named Robert Crichton. No relationship to Michael. Uh, and the book is called The Secret of Santa Vittoria. It came out, I believe, in the 50s. Fantastic novel. Uh, it's about this Italian town that's occupied by the Nazis. And all they do is produce wine. And the Nazis really want this famous wine in the town. And so the entire town decides to basically create a conspiracy to hide hundreds of thousands of bottles of wine. And it's, 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 it's a really great book. They made a, a movie with Anthony Quinn that nobody's ever seen, but the book itself is terrific. You can go pick up a copy. Okay, so things that I hate. Uh, let's, let's start with, I'm going to conclude with the thing I hate more than anything in the universe. Here's something that I hate slightly less than that, but still a lot. So I was asked to be on uh, Entertainment Tonight. What's the name of their show? Uh, it's, it's not even E.T. It's, it's um, Insider. It's, it's CBS Insider. Uh, so I was asked to, to talk about this particular ad, and I was really upset with myself because... There was something I really wanted to say, and I forgot to say it, and, uh, and it's about Amy Schumer. Amy Schumer, what you're about to see is an ad cut by a bunch of celebrities and then another celebrity named President Obama, and they all sit there talking about gun control, how gun control is necessary in the aftermath of San Bernardino, and Amy Schumer appears. She's become the gun control poster child for some odd reason because she's Chuck Schumer's the senator from New York. She's his cousin, uh, and what I wanted to say on, on CBS was she's famous for being funny and fat. She's not famous for knowing anything about guns, gun control, or policy. Unfortunately, I forgot about that. I just said that all of the low IQ people in Hollywood who have guns outside their vast mansions and inside CBS protecting them, they don't really get to tell me that my gun gets to go away. Like, this is just, like I, I walked through two separate layers of security to go tape this at CBS, <laughs> so I'm not going to sit there and pretend that guns mean nothing. So here is the ad, and we'll play as much of it as we can handle before I pass out from vomiting. Let's do it. We can. Oh, Jennifer Aniston. We can. Some guy, I don't know. We can. We can. We can. 
We Jen, can. Uh, Julianne Moore. We can end. Kevin Bacon. We can end. We can end. Gun violence. There's Amy Schumer. Gun violence. Gun violence. End. Gun violence. We can end gun violence. Uh, we can end gun violence. We can end. We can Lane. end it's like the gun entire violence. cast of Modern Family. When we come together, Sarah Silverman. Americans can do anything. And then Obama. We can end gun violence. Michael J. Fox. We can end gun violence. We can end gun violence. We can end gun violence. Okay, I can't take we any more of this. End. So it's, it's basically just a bunch of people, and I'm firmly convinced the reason the ad was cut this way is because all of these people are only capable of saying one word at a time. <laughs> they are not capable of stringing together a cohesive thought. And so it just turns into, okay, you can I can only say one word, so tell me what word to say. And so some, some lady is looking into the camera, and they have eight takes of her saying can. Right? She just goes, can. And then they have another guy, and all he does is say we. Right? So, and, and, then you have one, and then you have some, and then you have Amy Schumer, and she's just going, gun violence. Okay, we need, it, we need it with more sincerity. Gun violence. We need angry. Gun violence. And so they just cut all of these things together, which is basically how it works with child actors in Hollywood anyway. But all Hollywood actors are children, and so that's how this works. What I want to know, number one, is why I should give two hoots in hell what all of these celebrities think about anything. I mean, honest to God, my IQ is, is definitely higher than all the people in this video combined. Like, if you took them all, and I'm not talking the average, I'm talking the combined IQ. My IQ is definitely higher than all of the people in this video. And that's both because I have an extraordinarily high IQ gang, but also because the people in this video have an extraordinarily low combined IQ. The, sort, the, the brain power in this video could toast a piece of bread very lightly. Maybe. So, it, and, and I love when they say things like, if we just care enough, we can end gun violence. Really, how? You know, there's, a, there's a scene, we have any fans of The Office here? Yeah, so you got a bunch of fans of The Office. You remember that scene where Michael Scott wants, he, he learns that you can declare bankruptcy if you're in debt? And so he walks out in front, and so he walks out into the middle of the office, and he doesn't understand what it is to declare bankruptcy, how it's like an actual legal process. And so he just stands in the middle of the office, and he goes, I declare bankruptcy! That's what these people are, right? If we just care enough, we can end gun violence. Explain how. How like a how there? Do you think it's going to end gun violence when you go to the 100 million gun owners in America with their 300 million guns and you put a gun in their face and say, turn over your guns? You think it might increase the violence rate just a little bit? <laughs> Try telling people in Texas they're going to have to give up their stash. This kind of crap goes over well in Los Angeles. Just not go down in Lubbock, okay? You try this crap in Lubbock and there is, and Lubbock and there is blood in the street. So all these idiot celebrities, they are, they are idiots. They are, they are hideous idiots. Uh, and the idea that I'm supposed to care what Amy Schumer thinks about gun control is beyond me, but it shows that Barack Obama is celebrity first and, and thinker second. And he also understands how this works. He gets a bunch of people who are popular to say something really dumb. And then the implication, of course, is that if you disagree with their proposals, then you like gun violence, right? If you don't agree with it, it's because you're not willing. I'm just not willing to end gun violence. No, I'm willing to end gun violence. I have a few solutions. Okay, have dads stick around in the homes. How about that? Give everybody who's law-abiding a gun and the ability to use it. Give them concealed carry permits. And also, let's end the culture of violence that predominates, particularly in inner cities. Because it turns out in Vermont, you've got a bunch of upper crust people who all own guns. There are no gun laws in Vermont, which is why Bernie Sanders is not anti-gun. And the gun violence rate in Vermont is basically zero. It, is, it has the lowest gun violence rate of any state in America, and it has a ton of guns in Vermont. So I actually, I, I do care about gun violence. I just think that the solution is different than these folks. But the implication is I don't care enough. And if I cared enough, we would all get together and stand in the middle of the Washington Mall and shout, I declare an end to gun violence. And all gun violence across the world would end. Now, in the mode of this, that was something that I hate a lot. 
Here's the thing you're about to find out, the thing that I hate most in the universe. This is legitimately the thing that I hate more than anything else that has ever been created, at least in the artistic world, and that is John Lennon's Imagine. John Lennon's Imagine is a monstrosity. It's a moral, musical monstrosity. In every, it, it, it is the cave troll of, of all that is good and holy. I mean, it is, just, it, is, it is the worst thing that ever was created. The reason I'm bringing it up is because two days ago was the anniversary of John Lennon's assassination. Very sad. People shouldn't get killed. And so everybody decided that we're going to replay Imagine. This is the single worst song in human history. I mean, this sucker makes Justin Bieber look like Beethoven. This is, it's, it's pretentious, it's garbagey, the morality that it spouts is just spew, it's moral spew, it's worse than that. It's actually, it's not just nonsensical, there's a sense to it, there is a sense, but it's so deeply immoral and deeply evil, and yet it's, it's put over this kind of pretentious, these long pretentious piano chords, and him singing meaningfully, and anybody who believes the crap in this song, anybody who believes the crap in this song, you should never have any sort of conversation with them. It's a waste of your time. It's a waste of your brain power. I am not a censor. The song should exist. But if I were a censor, I would take every copy of this song and I would take it to a bonfire and I would burn it because it's a, it's a terrible song. <laughs> there are certain words even I won't say here. It is a garbage. So we'll play a little bit of it. And then I'm going to take the, the screen that we're showing it on. I'm going to hurl it through a window. So let's, we'll play a little bit of this garbage. Oh, pretentious piano chords to it. God, I can't even get through the first few bars of this thing. Imagine there's no heaven. There isn't for you, buddy. What he just said is the most immoral thing you could possibly say. <laughs> imagine all the people living for today. That's basically what we have. Okay, imagine all the people living for today it means you don't plan for the future. It means you don't care about your kids. It means you don't care what happens tomorrow. It means you don't care about anybody else. You just care about you. Okay, this is the most selfish morality possible. If all the people lived just for today, they would screw everything in sight and kill all their enemies. That's what would happen if everybody lived for today, because what happens tomorrow doesn't matter. If there's no punishment, if there's no reward and punishment in this life or any other, then all that matters is what is good for me right now. Okay, it's a deeply immoral philosophy that's being preached over this pretentious garbage piano music. I mean, one of the things I hate about the Beatles, honestly, is I actually like trained musicians, and the Beatles can write a melody. There's no question. They can write a catchy hook. Okay, none of them knew how to read music. Call me an elitist. For me to call you a great musician, you have to know how to read music. Okay, I wouldn't call you a great author if you don't know how to read. Okay, so, the, so but we'll, we'll continue with this because there actually is some, some substance and depth. To, I think this is the entire Democratic Party. I think this is the entire American and European left. I think this is the mor their morality in a nutshell. And I think they believe that it's beautiful and it is the ugliest morality that you could possibly conceive of. No countries. No countries. It isn't hard. Yeah. 
the next stanza there, no religion. Religion is the cause of all the world's ills. Right. Communism and atheism murdered 100 million people in the century he was writing this. They were busy murdering people in China right as he was writing this garbage. Okay, this is, this is such depraved morality. There's no countries. There's nothing worth killing or dying for. Really, how about like the torture of children? Is that worth killing or dying for? How about the murder of 100 million people? Is that worth killing or dying for? Turns out that in your happy, dappy little land here, where everybody is, is just wonderful and joyous, this, this assumes a goodness to human nature that just does not exist. The left ex- assumes that all people inherently are good. All people are not inherently good, and anybody who's ever met a child knows this. Seriously, children are innocent, but they're not good. Everybody assumes that kids are good. Kids are not good. Kids are selfish. I love my daughter. She's wonderful, but she wants what she wants, and if she doesn't get what she wants, she fusses and she cries and she lashes out because she's a kid. Kids are just baby humans, right? Humans are all like this. Humans are not all good, and they're not all bad. They are capable of both good and bad, but mostly... Human beings are not civilized. That's why civilization is necessary for human beings. You have to have cultures. You have to have morality that is taught. If you just left everybody alone in a field, like in primitive times, everyone would kill each other. The murder rate in primitive societies was enormous, enormous, and nothing was developed because there was no civilization and there was no religion. This sort of noble savage nonsense that, that John Lennon was preaching from the most highly civilized portion of human civilization up to that point in history it's, it, it is amazing that all these people live off the fruits of a civilization that is absolutely contrary to their values, and then they suggest that if they just rip away the civilization, that nothing will change. I mean, honestly, I should just dismiss this because the guy married Yoko Ono. I mean, that's, that alone, I should dismiss him. But, but we'll go one more stanza of this before I hurl myself through a window. Uh, let's, let's finish up with John Lennon Imagine on the, what, what was this? When, when did he die, John Lennon? 78? Something like that. Uh, I, I don't. It was before my time, but but we the on the anniversary of his death, we're gonna make fun of the worst song ever written. So here we go. By the way, he's standing in a giant ass house. No need for greed or hunger. No need for greed or hunger. A brotherhood of man. A man that has never existed and never will. Imagine all. This final push toward no possessions. Honestly, this is actually being promoted by the left today. And there was an article in The Nation yesterday. Yesterday, J.A. Meyerson, writing in The Nation, says we should just abolish private property. We should just get rid of it. Because when the Wampanoag, the, this tribe, met the pilgrims, and, they, and the, the pilgrims had claimed their land, the Indians came across the land, and the pilgrims said to them, this is our land. And the Wampanoag said, wait a second, we don't do that sort of like land ownership thing. And J.A. Meyerson says... Well, weren't they right? We still don't have a good reason why, why we shouldn't just share the land. I have a good reason why we shouldn't share the land. It's called several thousand years of no human development. And then 
Western civilization. That's why we should we should not share the land. Private property, private property ownership, the idea of labor, the idea of owning what you produce is one of the greatest goods ever discovered in the history of civilization. We would all be wander, you know, hunter-gatherer, nomad peoples with no history, and we'd all die at 30 if it weren't for human civilization and private property ownership and the incentive that suggests that you own what you produce. Okay, but none of this makes any difference to these people. It's deeply immoral, but it's such childish philosophy. And it bleeds all the way down to the kitties. I mean, this really is something that you would hear from a third grader. But leftists think it's so deep. They think stuff that seven-year-olds say is just the depth of, of what humankind is. And it really is evil, okay? You should not take your moral advice from small children. You shouldn't. But that's what this is. Okay, when my daughter is five, I expect that I'll probably hear this from her. And I'll have to inform her, life isn't fair and people do bad things. Right? Those two premises alone destroy everything John Lennon is talking about. Life isn't fair and people do bad crap. And as soon as you acknowledge these two basic facts about the world, none of this makes any sense. But I'm telling you, the entire left buys into this. And this is the happy world that it would be if it weren't for us evil Republicans and our, and our evil reality that we bring with us. It's, it, really is, it really is quite sickening. So that's the thing that I hate for today. The good news is that I think that reality intervenes. Every time this is tried, reality intervenes. That's the good news and the bad news. Because the bad news is that when reality intervenes, usually tens of millions of people die for stupid garbage like this, and, and will if we allow the left to win. So what I'm calling for in the Republican primary is let's consolidate around somebody who is not Donald Trump to stop Donald Trump, but let's do it before we get to some sort of brokered convention with all the elites figuring out for the rest of us. I don't like elites figuring out anything for the rest of us, whether it's John Lennon or Karl Rove. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 